Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy 2.15 and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton. And welcome back this uh, very warm uh, end of June week. Uh, so thank you for joining us. My, I'm your host, Michelle Mix. And I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And I'm your host, David Reed. Okay. And um, we're, we're all kind of hungry right before we were starting. We're talking with our Facebook Live listeners about sandwiches. So now we're hungry. But So today we'll be hungry for the, um, for the teachings that we're going to learn from uh, the Word of God. Uh, Pam, do you want to open us in prayer? Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you give to us, Lord, and the even the little things in life. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that guides and directs in our hearts. Lord, we want to thank you for your word, your living word, Lord, that speaks to us daily. Lord, I pray that the listeners tonight will learn something new, and Lord, I pray that you would bring those to the knowledge of salvation. Lord, we do not know all those that are listening, Lord, but we pray that you would guide and direct in the program tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And and speaking of our Facebook Live listeners, um, Pam, do you have um, information regarding our Facebook Live listeners? Yeah, I was doing some research on the um, Facebook Live, and of course, that could be played um, anytime during the week, it doesn't just have to um, be on at live time right now. Um, they have several shares, probably about each week's about 12, 12 to 15 shares. And I was looking through the different regions and the countries that um, go on and click onto the videos and the live videos and watch them during the week. And we have over just this month, there's over 250 in the United States, about 75 in Norway, the Philippines, hmm. Canada, India, South Africa, United Kingdom, Kenya, Singapore, and Portugal. Very good. And that was the month um, of June. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yes. We did not have any questions come in mm-hmm. or um but uh our reach right now just on the Facebook live is about 2300. Yeah. Very good. Good. And it's um always um uh, we always enjoy um seeing the listeners uh in the Facebook um live chat with mm-hmm. us. Um we have, you know, Ontario for Texas um ohio cincinnati so it's really nice to uh, be connected with everybody definitely thanks for sharing that with us pam mm-hmm. uh and david um could you give us a little information about your ministry sure um so i'm part of columbus bible church and you can visit us on the web at www.columbusbiblechurch.org uh you can also check out our youtube channel of the same name columbus bible church and so uh if you're interested in more content that's where you can find it 
All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And we are, we did uh, a question last week and this week we're back to Ephesians. Okay. So we are in Ephesians and we're finishing up in Ephesians 9. I mean, chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 19, and we're going to go through 30, and then we'll catch up with verse um, chapter 6. And the title is The Inner Life of the Spirit-Filled Believer. And I'm going to read um, Ephesians 5, 19 through 21. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So let's start with talking about submitting yourselves to one another. Uh, the One of the key cross-references is Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Romans 12, verse 10, which says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Now, that is not the way that our flesh naturally operates. Do we naturally prefer the brother over ourself? No, we we know that's not the case. We're always sort of me first if we're honest about things. Mm -hmm. But scripture tells us to prefer the the, the brother. That's that's why Ephesians 5.21 talks about submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Another relevant verse is Matthew 20, verse 25. Matthew 20 and verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. How does the world work? Do the mighty, the powerful, the wealthy, do they serve others, or do they exercise dominion over others? Well, Matthew 20 tells you how Gentiles operate. They, they exercise dominion over others. Scripture tells us to be the exact opposite of that. See, our, our flesh would prefer to be in charge. We'd prefer to be the boss. We'd prefer to tell people what to do. Our flesh would prefer to have others serve us rather than us serve them. But that is not the the spiritual approach that that God commands for us. We're to submit ourselves to one another. Look with me then at Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So we have liberty in Christ, And what often happens is people view that liberty as, well, this is great. I can do whatever I want. You know, I'm I'm saved by grace. If I sin, I'm not going to lose my salvation. So therefore, let me just do what I feel like doing. But Galatians 5.13 says, don't use your liberty as for an occasion to the flesh. Instead, use it as an opportunity to serve one another. So that's the way we need to think about it. Let's go on to verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5.22 is a very controversial verse because it talks about wives submitting unto your own husbands. But notice the context of what we just saw in verse 21. In other words, you don't have to go very far away to read verse 21, right? Mm -hmm. And it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So every believer 
is commanded to submit to one another. And the idea there is this, <clears throat> naturally what we are, if we're just being honest, is we're selfish. <clears throat> we're self-centered. Uh, we're interested in what's good for us. Scripture commands us not to be that way. And in fact, it commands us to submit ourselves one to another. And so when you read the verses about submission in the scriptures, you should read them in the context of what God has commanded the believer is he's commanded us to submit to one another and, and not be focused on ourselves, which is our instinctive natural tendency. Let's look at the next set of verses. <clears throat> For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And I'll read Ephesians 5.24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So what we notice from those verses is that Christ is the head of the church. Let's compare this with Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. And we'll look at verse 13 and verse 18 in Colossians 1. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. As a lost person, we were in the kingdom of darkness. What we've been, but we've been translated, we've been moved into the kingdom of his dear son, that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Now, if you go down to verse 18, you should read the intervening verses when you get a chance, but just for the sake of time, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, the idea there, of course, being the head of the body is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head. He's the authority. He's the decision maker for the body. The reason why you snap your fingers, the reason why you tap your feet is your head, your mind tells the rest of the body to do that. A properly functioning body is in submission to the head. What would happen if you were trying to, I don't know, walk? or drive, or do any complicated motor activity, and your hand said, well, I'm doing my own thing, your elbow says, well, I'm listening to me, I'm not listening to the head, and your legs say, well, no, we're, you know, we're not submitting to anything else, we're going to do what we want. Well, you wouldn't even be able to walk properly, right? You wouldn't be able to do any complicated physical tasks if each physical part of the body said, I'm doing my own thing. For the body to work properly, it has to work collectively. It has to work in conjunction with one another, which means that it all has to follow the head. And what is the head of the church? The head of the church is Jesus Christ. And so what we need to do is we all need to be in submission to him. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. What Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So do we belong to ourselves? We don't. For ye are bought with a price. Now, let me just pause there. When it says we're bought with a price, that's a reference to the fact that Jesus Christ shed the blood of God, according to Acts 20, verse 28, for our sins. God in the flesh died on the cross, suffered God's wrath to purchase our salvation. 
That's why we are bought with a price. That price exceeds $10 trillion. That price exceeds all Bitcoin on earth. It exceeds all gold. There's nothing, you know, it's, it's inestimable in value. There's nothing greater. Well, if Christ shed his blood to pay for our sins and we're bought with a price, then what that means is my personal preference about what I should do or how I should live doesn't mean anything. Um, Christ purchased my salvation. I need to live my life in accordance with what would please him. Let me continue in verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So when you think about the issue of submission, when you think about the issue of your place in the body, when you think about the issue of your place in society or work, and you think, well, I, I shouldn't be in this role, I should be in another role, and I should be doing this instead, please understand the most important relationship you have is the, your relationship to the head of the body, Jesus Christ. And what we all need to be doing is we need to be thinking about our lives in a way that we are glorifying him in what we do. Let's go on to the next verse. Okay, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. It's not optional. It's not when they feel like it. They're commanded to do it. Uh, it's not something that's just based upon sentiment at, at, at a given moment in time. And the way that Christ loved the church is he gave himself for it. In other words, it was a self-sacrificial love. When Christ endured the cross, he endured the suffering, he endured the shame. And he, he did that out of love. He, he was submitting to the Father's will, and he was doing it to purchase the salvation of mankind. Well, how should the husband live in relation to the wife? Well, it is a self-sacrificial love. It, it's a love that puts the wife first, that focuses on, on her needs and not the husband needs. That's the model for the husband-wife relationship. It's how Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Let's do the next couple verses. Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And in 5, 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So what Christ's death on the cross accomplished was the cleansing of the church. Uh, it talks about the washing of the word. It says that we should be holy and without blemish. So just think through this with me. Do you have anything in your life that you feel guilty about? Do you have anything that you regret that you feel dirty about where you realize, I wish I hadn't done that. I'm embarrassed that I did it. I don't talk about it. I don't share it with people because I'm, I'm mortified at my own behavior. And what happens is the vast, vast, vast majority of mankind lives with a tremendous amount of guilt. And they live with a, that guilt because of their own actions, not because of things that happened to them, but because of things they did that were their responsibility and they know it. Well, the good news is this. The good news is that the, the church was cleansed by what Christ did on the cross. When Christ shed his blood for our sins, we were, we were cleansed. We were made pure from all of the guilt that, that we deserve based upon our previous actions. Let's look at verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies? 
He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So it's fascinating there in verse 28. Men are to love their wives as their own body. Well, here's the reality. Do we love our own bodies? We do, don't we? We take care of them if, you know, the truth of the matter is we indulge them, right? We give them really all sorts of things that they want that we really shouldn't. And and, and the proof of that is, does your body ever uh, get more attention than it deserves? And the answer is yes. Do you ever feed it more than it really needs? Mm -hmm. The answer to that is yes, we do, don't we? We feed it things that it wants, even though we know we shouldn't do that. Let me tell you something that the human body can live without Doritos. It can, but what happens is the human body wants it. And so we spoil the human body, don't we? Um, then the, the point there being simply this, when it says men ought to, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. We love our own bodies a very tremendous amount is the point. We pamper them, we indulge them, we get them whatever they want. Well, th- that's the way that men are to, f- to feel about their wives. They're, they're to love them with that same extreme care and attention. Not that uh, any of us necessarily perform this very well, but that's the goal. That's the standard. That's what we ought to be doing. Look with me at uh, verses 29 and 30. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourish, nourish and cherish it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, his flesh, and of his bones. So what we see there is that as members of the church, we're described as members of his body, his flesh, and of his bones. Let's look at some other verses that describe the believer's role, his membership in the body. So we'll go to Romans 12 first, Romans 12, 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So we're members, obviously, of the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Verse 22, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Now, what verse 22 tells you is every member of the body is necessary. You, you perhaps you remember this. At one point, science thought that the body was full of vestigial organs. In other words, there were organs in our body that we didn't really need because they were just there because of evolution. But you know, they don't serve a purpose. They're just there, but they don't do anything. Well, of course, what's happened over time? Science has realized no, every organ you have plays a role. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can live without some because you could live without your finger if you cut off your finger. But does your body function as well as it could if you don't have your fingers? Well, obviously not. So let's put this all together. If we are members of his body, then what that means is we are essential to the proper functioning of the church. That means we play an important role. Another thing that means is this, and and hopefully this helps some of us think about eternal security. If we are members of his body, 
in other words, we are members of the body of Christ, then you can be confident of going to heaven because there is no part of Jesus Christ that will be in hell. There is no part of the body of Christ that will be in hell. When 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how we were baptized by the Spirit into one body, the beautiful thing that happened when we believed is we had faith in the gospel, and what the Holy Spirit did is the Holy Spirit spiritually placed us into the body of Christ. It gave us that identification with the head of the body, the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore, You can have absolute confidence, you can have certainty that if you've had faith in the gospel, in other words, you've believed Christ died for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day, you can't possibly go to hell because there is no part of the body of Christ that will be in hell. Jesus Christ is not going to be in heaven with a body that is incomplete. It, it just, it, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's not plausible. So hopefully you, you take a little bit of comfort there in, uh, in understanding something about the eternal security that you have in Christ. Mm-hmm. Let's look at verse 31. Ephesians 5.31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Ephesians 5 is clearly quoting Genesis 2.24, so let's just look at it. Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so the idea there is that the two are, are joined as one. And so the man and wife are a, are, are a unit together. Let's look at verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So Ephesians 5.32 talks about a great mystery. We know from 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7 that the definition of what a mystery is, is it is hidden wisdom. In other words, it's wisdom that God hid, that God concealed for a period of time. The Christ and the church is described as a mystery, which means, therefore, it must be hidden. Here's why that matters. You will have people tell you that there's only one church throughout Scripture, and there's only ever been one church. You'll have people tell you that the body of Christ is something that was prophesied or foreshadowed, or you can read about it in time past. None of that is true. Scripture specifically says that it is a great mystery. In other words, it is hidden wisdom. It is something that was hidden, that was concealed, that was not revealed until it was revealed to the Apostle Paul when he was given the revelation of the mystery. Let's do verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So Ephesians 5.33 sums up some of the verses that we've seen previously. Uh, Obviously, it it requires the husband there to love his wife even as himself. And we saw earlier, that's the love that Christ has for the church. That's the the pattern that we are to emulate. Let's go ahead and move into uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, we've, we've spoken previously about the similarities between Ephesians and Colossians. Colossians mm-hmm. 3, verse 20 has a very similar verse. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So children obviously should obey their parents. That verse obviously is 
ignored a lot, isn't it? Well, let's understand something about why it's important. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. 6, 2, and 3, would honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. So when Ephesians 6, 1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, it then immediately follows up by quoting Exodus 20. It's quoting the Old Testament law. It's quoting the Ten Commandments, where children are instructed to uh, honor their parents. And actually, that's not the Ten Commandments. Excuse me, I misspoke. Um, Exodus 20, verse 12, I want you to notice what it says. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Deuteronomy 5, 16 is similar. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that these may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, let's try to understand this promise that thou mayest live long on the earth. Well, is it the case if you're a child and you obey that God is going to grant you health and longevity? And the answer, candidly, is that it, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. That there are children that are very sweet children that die from things, right? They either die from disease or accidents or what have you. So, it's, it's not a guarantee of, of life on earth. But here is, I believe, what the verses are telling us. As parents, do you ever command your children not to play in the street? Or or do you tell them, for example, don't go near the the street. Don't go past the sidewalk. Don't go past this line. Why are you doing that? Are you doing that because you're a mean person? Are you doing Mm -hmm. that because, really, it's so fun to play in the street, and you just want to deprive them of joy? Well, we know that's not the reason. The reason you're doing that is for their safety. And so what happens, God has given parents the authority with children to set boundaries for them and to give them instructions. And when they give those instructions, obviously those should be lovingly given and those should be based upon the scriptures and based upon wisdom. And children should then obey them. Whether they like them or not, sometimes as children, you know, maybe you remember this, were you ever told as a child, you know, some sort of instruction and you didn't really like it and you didn't agree with it and you certainly didn't want to abide by it? I mean, maybe you, I, I, I had things like that. Maybe you did. Well, what's the scriptural guidance on this? Well, the scriptural guidance is that children are not supposed to be in the position of, you know, reviewing dad's advice and saying, well, dad, you did a great job here. You got three out of the four correct. You only got one wrong this time, but, uh, you know, so I'm going to obey three of them. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to work. What I just want you to notice here is when it says thou mayest live long on the earth, what happens is there's a, there's a, nat- it, 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 there's a natural beneficial result from children obeying their parents because the parents typically have wisdom and experience and understanding that the child does not have, and therefore it's in the child's best interest to defer, to obey, to the parent's authority. That's the, I believe that's the idea of what's going on in those verses. Let's go ahead and go to verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and ad, ad, I don't know why I can't say that word, admonition, admonition, admonition. thank you, of the Lord. Yes. And so, yeah, this tricky, tricky part of the thing. But the um, what fathers are supposed to do is they're supposed to be nurturing. 
And when it says nurturing there, that is a reference to instruction. So in other words, children, do they start off knowing things? They don't, right? Mm -hmm. When you see the little baby crawl around, that's really cute. What does it start doing? Well, it wants to put everything in its mouth. So it picks up Mm -hmm. a rock and it wants to eat it. Now, is that a wise thing to do? That's not a wise thing to do. And then the child plays with the other child's toys and it takes the child's toys and puts them in its mouth. Okay, well, that's not a wise thing to do either. Why is the child doing that? Well, the child is doing that because the child does not yet possess much in the way of wisdom or understanding. What are fathers supposed to do given Ephesians 6? Well, they're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition, warning, in other words, of the Lord. In other words, children need to be taught is what they need. They need instruction. Colossians 3.21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So the idea here is this. As, as a father, you can do a lot to provoke and frustrate your child, right? Because you have authority over them and you make rules that they have to live with and so on. And so you can do a lot to just burden them and exasperate them. But fathers are not to be doing that. We're not supposed to provoke them. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to nurture them, which means that as a father, what you need to be doing is you need to be thinking about what does what do my children need to do? And so there's some things I need to teach them, obviously, about just life, right? In other words, how do you change a light bulb? What's the difference between a regular screwdriver and a Phillips screwdriver? You know, how do you fix things? How do you get the car to work? You know, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, but, but even more importantly than that, the father is responsible for nurturing the child in the things of the Lord. And that would start, of course, with the gospel, but it would also include the instruction in God's word as a general matter. And so that would fall upon the, the father's shoulders. Let's look at the, the next section, if we could. Ephesians um, 6, 5, and I'll read through 8. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of heart unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill during ser- doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whoso- whatsoever good thing any man doth, the same shall he receive of the Lord whether he be bond or free. As we look at these verses on servants, let's start by seeing what Colossians 3 has to say. Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. In other words, they're not their masters in eternal things, not their masters in spirituality, but according to the flesh, according to life circumstances. Not with eye service as men pleasers. You know what that is. Mm-hmm. Eye service is when the boss is around, productivity's higher, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When the boss walks into the room, there's less solitaire. Uh, there's less about the TV shows. There's less, you know, goofing around. There's more type, 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 you know, work, 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 work. Well, when it says not as I serve, not with eye service as men pleasers, well, what typically happens then is you're really productive and the boss leaves the room and you can get back to normal, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's not scriptural, right. is it? Mm-mm. We're supposed to have singleness of heart. In other words, we're supposed to always be diligently working for the benefit of our masters is the idea. Why so? 
fearing God is what the verse says. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Here's what happens. You you work for your boss and you think, well, my boss is really driving me crazy and my boss is obnoxious and I don't think my boss is doing a good job. And because I don't think my boss is doing a good job, I'm not going to work real hard, right? I'll do what I have to do to get by, but, you know, just the minimum I'm going to skate. Well, what Colossians and Ephesians both tell us is, no, the way you need to think about your role is you need to think about it as unto the Lord. In other words, you're not just serving your earthly master. You are serving Jesus Christ in that role. Jesus Christ desires you in whatever role you are in to be a a witness of his grace. In other words, he wants you to live righteously. He wants you to live in a way that is becoming to the gospel, not that is embarrassing to the gospel. Verse 24, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance, of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, that's an encouraging verse. What that means is when you as an employee or a servant, when you do a good job, what can you expect? You can expect a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what it's saying there. The reward of the inheritance that, in other words, the Lord Jesus Christ evaluates were you a good employee? Were you a good servant? Were you faithful? Did you work hard? Were you, were you a good employee? And there is a reward for that. That's what verse 24 is saying. That ought to guide us because then what happens is don't think about your responsibilities as, well, my enthusiasm level depends upon how I feel about the man or the company or my, my circumstance. No, your enthusiasm level should be based upon You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever situation you find yourself, Mm -hmm. and that should be your motivation. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Notice what it then says, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. What happens when you as a saved person don't do a good job at work and your colleagues see it well bad testimony according to that yeah exactly that's exactly right very bad testimony and what it even says there is that the name of god and his doctrine are, are blasphemed so that that's that's we need to avoid that obviously verse two and they that have believing masters let them not despise them because they are brethren but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort so we should obviously be, be good and faithful in our, our secular jobs. Look, let's look at one more passage, Titus 2, verse 9, Titus 2, 9. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. So we should try to please our masters. Not answering again. Do people ever talk back? Mm-hmm. They do. Um, we're instructed not to do that. Verse 10, not purloining. What is that? Stealing. As, as, a, as a servant, as an employee, there's often opportunities to steal. Should you do that? Obviously, you shouldn't do that. But showing all good fidelity, that's the instruction given to us, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So, obviously, we shouldn't steal. And the idea there is that our good behavior, it adorns the doctrine. Um, It's something that is a positive testimony toward the doctrine. 
Let's do verse 9 if we could. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatenings, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is their respecter of person with him. So servants are commanded to obey their masters. Now, by the way, so most in the world today are fortunate not to be servants. Now, we, we typically have jobs and we have responsibilities, but we're not servants. Uh, but we should take from these verses that we should take them as guidance as to how we should mm -hmm. operate. And just as there are expectations on servants, are there expectations on masters from the Lord? There are, verse 9. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it says, forbearing threatening. Well, do masters sometimes threaten their servants, yeah. threaten mm -hmm. them with harm? Mm -hmm. I'll fire you or I'll, you know, ca cause you other problems. Well, masters are not supposed to do that knowing that your master also is in heaven. In other words, whatever, whatever position you have on earth, guess what? You're going to give account for it. Right. You may be the president. You know, you could be the, the, the head of the United States. You could be the head of a major corporation. You will give account, rest assured. Um, there's a master in heaven uh, that, that all men give account to. And then notice what it says, neither is there respect of persons with him. The idea there of what that's saying is this. What happens on earth is there is respect of persons. Uh, the greatest example of that, what happens uh, when you go to uh, like a retail store or a fast food place? Do people sometimes talk harshly with the people that are working there? Mm -hmm. yeah. Are they sometimes unkind and, you know, really not very pleasant? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then other people, they don't treat that way because they, they respect people according to the, the office they hold mm -hmm. or according to the position they have in society. Well, there's no respect of persons in the next life. There's no respect of persons when you give account, right? You're gonna, we'll, we'll give account for the behavior that, that we've engaged in. Right. So let me look at Colossians 4, 1 real quick, which is the cross-reference. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. The idea is they're going to give account. And so as a master, you should be fair. You should do what is just and equal, knowing that you will give account for your behavior someday. All right. Yep, uh, nice to end on that. And we'll be right back after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. 
Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. are listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul and welcome back i'm your host michelle mix i'm your host uh, michael mix i'm your host pam lampton and i'm your host david reed Okay, and I think we just finished up Ephesians 6.9, so if you'd like, I'll go ahead and read uh, Ephesians 6.10. Great. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So, what verse 10 tells us is that the saint's strength is in the Lord. It's a simple truth, but an important truth. Uh, our strength is not, our security is not in, in anything that you can see or touch or taste. What typically happens is people have strength or confidence either in their, their skills or in their wealth or their position or you know, some sort of material thing that they possess. And that is a false confidence because anything that you see or taste or touch can be taken from you, right? It can disappear, it can burn, it can go away. The, the, the source of our confidence, the source of our strength needs to be in the Lord. That verse naturally leads into the following verse. Where we're going to start looking at the, the armor of God. Okay, so Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So let's understand some basic things about the armor of God. The first thing that we see is that there is a command to put on the armor of God. When you look at Ephesians 1.1, and so this might just be a good thing to, um, you know, confirm with your eyes when you get a chance, but Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. When Paul says that he's writing to the saints, He's writing to saved people. Why does that matter? When he says in Ephesians 6, 11, to put on the whole armor of God, he's telling saved people to put on the whole armor of God. Here's why mm-hmm. that matters. I remember many, many years ago, uh, the armor of God is a very popular topic, and there, there are different books written on it. I was reading a book on 
God, and it was talking about the breastplate of righteousness, and the righteousness is the righteousness that we have by virtue of salvation. That was what the book said. And the idea there being, you know, it was going through some things that are true of the believer because of who we are in Christ. But if you think about that very carefully, it is true that at the moment of salvation, we are made righteous because God imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us. But that can't be what this verse is talking about, because in Ephesians 1, Paul's writing to saved people. He's writing to saints. And then he tells the saints, put on the armor of God. Well, it has to be something different than the standing that you already have in Christ. For ex- let, let me give you this example. Um, we're told to put on the helmet of salvation, to take the helmet of salvation. Well, if you're saved, you already have salvation, don't mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. So it must be talking about something different, simply being saved. I'll give you this example. It, it would be dumb to command water to be wet, <laughs> Because water already is wet. You don't have to command water to be wet. It already is. Well, if, if these verses tell us, for example, to put on the whole armor of God, it means that it's not automatically on. It's something that we have to, by a conscious decision, by intentional action, we have to put on the armor of God. That's right. Um, and let me give you just one further thing on that. Have you ever seen someone put on a coat of armor? I mean, it's it's not a it's not it's not like flipping a switch. The, the, there's effort involved, right? It, it yeah, there's right. there's there's a significant it takes it, it takes effort to put on an armor of God. Um, so l- let me show you one thing real quick, if, if I could. Um, so look with me at uh, Ephesians six seventeen. Ephesians six seventeen. And what it says is this, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, what 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, of love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, when you, you look at those two things, they both tell you about the hope of salvation. They're similar. But what it's talking there about putting on the hope of salvation, it's not talking about saint, you mm-hmm. need to get resaved. But it's talking about the saint needs to have in their frame of reference their hope of salvation. Meaning, mean, let me put it this way. If you approach life and you think, well, this is just terrible. <laughs> Everything is bad. You know, the economy is rough, the government's crazy, my coworkers are mean. What we need to live with is we need to live with the hope, the knowledge that things get better. In other words, we can have confidence in the midst of the troubles because we know there's a hope, right? We have a blessed Mm -hmm. hope that things are going to get better, and that hope sustains us during the difficult times. Now, get with me 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 4. So, what we saw in Ephesians 6.11 is that we're commanded to put on the whole armor of God. So, in other words, it's going to take action to do that, right? We're going to have to make a choice to do that. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it tells us to do that is that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So, apparently, we really need the armor. 
And we need the armor because the devil has wiles. Does anyone ever remember the roadrunner? Mm-hmm. Remember the roadrunner mm-hmm. who would go beep, beep? Mm-hmm. Who was his adversary? Wiley Coyote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. right? And why was he Wiley Coyote? Because he had tricks, right? Tricks. He always had yeah. some sort of scheme that he was going to try to trap the roadrunner. Well, Satan is trickier than Wiley Coyote, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, look with me at 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So, there are seducing spirits. In other words, there are spirits that try to seduce, that try to lead people away from the truth. And they have doctrines of devils. In other words, they have false teachings. People sometimes think about devils and they think, well, what devils do is they haunt houses. What devils do is they possess people. They take control of them and then they have to roll around on the floor and, you know, they foam at the mouth and so on. Paul doesn't tell us to be worried about stuff like that. He tells us that devils have doctrines. Well, the thing that's scary about that is if they're doctrines, obviously they're false doctrines, and there are going to be people caught up in them. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this question. Is it enough to go to church? Oh. Well, I'm a saved person. I just got to go to a church. I'll find the one that's closest to me, and it'll be really convenient. Or I'll find the one that has really good programs, and maybe they will have the best coffee, and that'll be good. Well, if, if Satan has doctrines, doctrines of devil. What it means is it's not enough to go to church. It means I have to be a very careful consumer, right? There's going to be some false doctrines out there, and I need to distinguish between them. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Well, the devil has a snare. In other words, he has a trap. To state the obvious, traps are used when you don't have superior brute force. In other words, you don't need a trap to pick up uh, you know, a lightning bug, right? Or something small. You have more power than it does and you can just grab them. But what happens is if you don't have superior power and you need to trick your opponent, you need to trick your prey, then, then you have to have some sort of snare. You have to have some mm-hmm. sort of trap. You have to have some sort of deception. So like, for example, think of like the normal trap that's placed for like a bear, well, don't they conceal the trap? Mm-hmm. Yes. They have some sort of bait to attract the bear, but is there a sign that says, beware, bears, trap ahead? They don't put out signs like that, do they? Mm-hmm. And in fact, they conceal the trap. They make it hard to see. Well, the reason why they're doing that is that if the bear saw 
If he perceived the trap, he wouldn't spring it. My point is this. We are, too, we, we are not sufficiently wary. We are not sufficiently cautious. We are not sufficiently studious. Because what the devil does is he has doctrinal traps. And the only way we can be safe to avoid them is we have to spend enough time in the Word of God to understand what is correct doctrine so that we don't fall into doctrines of devils. So it's fascinating. We started with the armor of God in in, in verse 11. We're supposed to put on the whole armor of God. Why? So we can stand against the wiles of the devil. If we're not going to fall into his traps, we're going to have to have the armor of God. We're going to have to make the choice to put it on and to keep it on and to use it for its intended purpose. Now, this is a good point. We're going to, we're going to get into the armor of God more deeply next time, but let me use a couple moments just to make clear that we're, we're all very clear on the gospel. Mankind has a, has a common problem, and that is that we're sinners. And because of sin, we deserve God's wrath, and we deserve to spend eternity in hell. But the good news is Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He, he died, buried, and was rose again the third day. And so the way that we are saved is we are saved by what Romans 3 calls faith in his blood. We don't trust ourselves or our own righteousness or our own good works, but we trust that the blood payment he made on the cross was sufficient for our sins. And the moment that we trust the blood payment that he made for us, we're saved, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're placed into the body of Christ, and we have eternal security in the body of Christ. So friends, if you've never done that, you need to have faith in Christ because it's the difference between heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. Huge. So that's what we've, we wanted to look at Ephesians today, and we wanted sort of to get everything teed up. Next week, we're going to dig in on the armor of God, and so we hope you'll be back with us then, but we wanted to sort of lay the groundwork so we could dig into it. Yeah. Yeah, Very this was yeah, this was a, a good intro into that. Um, a lot of information um, that we can use today. Mm-hmm. Amen. Very Amen. practical. Yes. And uh, definitely, uh, if you have questions, uh, you want to send them um, our way. Pam, you always mm-hmm. watch our Facebook Live uh, for if you post questions during the week. Um, and I encourage you also to read ahead. Um, so next week, we'll be talking, we'll be at Ephesians six twelve. Um, and going on through 2021 20, um, and further. Um, so read ahead. And that way, you know, if you do have um, questions that come up, you can post them in the uh, Facebook. Mm-hmm. And um, that way we can um, answer those for you. Very good. Excellent. And um, uh, glad uh, today has worked well. Uh, today sounds like I'm here. We're having a, st- a thunderstorm, so mm. but good timing, and it kept everybody um, kept us all online. Yeah, and um, we thank everybody for joining today. Yes. absolutely. Yes, and, and and we pray that they're blessed with the word, Amen. which they will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amen. Yes. And, and the word is always live because each time uh, we study it, each time I study it, um, something else, you know, comes to mind, mm-hmm. 
you know, that, um, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks to me that um, of something new for me to learn. So I appreciate it uh, each week that we're able to get together. So join us again next week, and we will continue with our Ephesians. Amen. All right. You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. Yeah.